Welcome to the Like Destiny podcast. There's um, a verse I've mentioned a number of times uh, over the last couple of days, which is Romans 5, verse 5. And it says, you know, hope does not disappoint us because God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that, I think, is a really important verse for us to fully understand. Um, because, you know, God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Passion Translation says, this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And what I want us to understand is the love of the Father is a tangible, real substance. You know, it exists. It's stuff, if you like. You know, if you've got an empty glass and you've got an empty jug and you pour nothing out of the empty jug into your empty glass, you are pouring nothing into nothingness, aren't you? Yeah? You'll all agree with me on that one? You know, you take a, take a jug of nothing and pour it into nothing and you've got nothing going into nothing. Well, that's not what Romans 5 verse 5 is saying. Romans 5 verse 5 is saying God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And he has a jug of love which is full of a real substance. It's full of the stuff of love. And he pours that substance, that real tangible existing thing into, if you like, the glass of our lives. And it is, you know, something is poured out of this big container of love that we call a father into our hearts. And it's not, you know, nothing being poured into nothing. Because if you pour nothing into nothing, you have nothing. But when Paul writes that God pours his love into our hearts, he's talking about a real substance of the father's love. You know, that something comes from the father to us. And, you know, the love of God is not a vague, woolly, you know, intangible thing. But the love of God is a, is a reality. You know, it's, 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 it's a tangible presence. It's a tangible thing. It really exists. And, you know, I like the way the Passion Translation says, this love of God cascades over us or cascades into our hearts. It's like standing under a waterfall, like it never ends. It's an unlimited flow of life into our hearts. And, you know, God is not mean. <laughs> God doesn't think, I've got so much love and it's limited. You know, I've got so much and I'll give you a bit and I'll give you a bit and I'll give you a bit. You know, it's not like that. He, it's unlimited for each one of us. I went, I went to a church one time. I went, I wasn't speaking or anything, it was my daughter's church and we went to visit her and we went to her church and the, the, the guy who was preaching, he said this most outrageous thing. He said, did you know the grace of God is limited? And I'm thinking, okay, he's having us on. 
you know, he's saying it's limited, but what he really means is limited by God's standards. It's unlimited, you know. I was thinking this is where, you know, he's, I, I was thinking he's just going to have a play on words and it was just all going to unfold and we we're all going to be okay. And that's what I was thinking. But he said, you know, did you know the grace of God is limited? And I'm waiting for him to unfold this and say, no, it's not really, you know. It's, and he said, yeah, he said, it's, it's limited. I'm thinking, where are we going with this? And he said, yes, he said, he said, he said, God's grace is limited for each one of you. And the problem is you don't know what the limit is. And I'm thinking, yeah, we could still get this okay. We could still, we could still make this one okay. It's like, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know the limit of God's grace. You know, it is, you know, I don't know it because it's unlimited. But he kept saying, did you know that it's, it's limited and you don't know the limit for you? And I'm still thinking it's going to work out okay. And then he said, he said, the problem is you don't know when you've used up that grace. And now I'm thinking, now, hang on, I'm not happy about this. You know, this is not where we, we should be going. <laughs> Long time ago, you know, and, and probably by human standards, most of us have used up our grace a long time ago. <laughs> but the guys, the guy went on to say, he said, yeah, he said, God's grace is limited and you never know when you've used up your allowance and therefore you'd better be good to make sure you don't run your allowance out. And I'm thinking, no, <laughs> this is like, can I have the platform, please? <laughs> you know, and this is like a big church. There's 1,200 people in this church. And, I'm, and everything in me is wanting to run down to the front and grab the microphone off and say, what you've just heard is a load of rubbish. But I was, didn't do it because I am fairly polite. <laughs> it would have been fun, wouldn't it? But it's like, you know, the love of God... The love of God is not limited. You know, you can't use up your allowance of the love of God because it is limitless for each one of us. And I don't know where that guy came from that day. And my daughter said to me afterwards, I mean, she was as shocked as I was. She said, Daddy, she said, um, you know, I didn't even say anything. I thought, I'm not going to say anything. It's her church. She's, you know, she's settled here. This is, this is like where she belongs. This is her friends and stuff. I'm, not, I'm just not going to say anything. Uh, but she she said to me, Daddy, she said, you know, it's quite a nice church, she said. You know, the people are really nice. And um, you know, most of the time the teaching's good and, you know, most of the time the, the worship's good. But just occasionally the guy says some things that are totally wrong. <laughs> and I thought, good for you, girl, you know. I've taught you something. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like she she was knowing exactly what I was thinking, you know, and and she just said it and said you know don't worry daddy it's okay we haven't i haven't slipped into heresy i know the truth i thought yes good but you know the love that god has for us the grace that god has for us is not limited and there is no way we can ever use up you know his love that he has for us you know his love never runs out never gives up and actually you know in this life we will never experience it fully however much we experience there will always be more and i just you know my encouragement is you know always seek more you know always go for more because there, there always is more you can't out love god you know it's like however much is loving you now however much you are experiencing him loving you now 
there is a much greater level that he wants to take you to. And when he's taken you to that level of experience, there's another level he wants to take you to. And one of the things that I find quite sad is I spend a lot of my time going around, as you know, talking about the love of the Father and, and uh, you know, this journey that he takes us on. And the thing that saddens me is when I see people settle. And you, you see them and, you, and they say, oh, yeah, I know God is loving me. And it's like they've plateaued. And I say, well, seek more. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I'm happy the way it is. You know, how can you be happy the way it is? You know, there's, there is so much more. And it's, you know, I love that picture of like the cascading love of God cascading into our hearts because i don't know we've got some pretty good waterfalls in this country but they're not they're not the best in the world of course but you know i've been to niagara falls as as some of you probably have and you know you just look at that water and you think that is never going to stop that is just immense amount of water coming over that that waterfall and it's like and I've been, I don't, some of you will have been down, down the tunnel and at the back of the waterfall where you actually stand behind the, the water f- falling down. And that's an incredible experience just to listen and watch and, and see this. And you think that's, that's what the love of God is like. You know, just a thunderous, overflowing, generous, lavishing amount of love. And it's not that he's standing there with an empty jug pouring nothing into nothing. He is pouring the substance of his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And you know, I, I long my, uh, that we can live in that place where we are being drenched by the love of God. Daily, hourly. You know, that we live in love. And that we're not satisfied with we're dipping our big toe in the ocean of his love. But it's like, I want to experience all that he's got for me. Because that, that leads us into freedom. That leads us into peace. That leads us into rest. That leads us into a, this, this place of a life of security. You know, when we actually live loved. You know, if you, if you look at families where, where the kids are really loved, they are so secure. You know, they can do anything, they can say anything, they can, you know, they can break your best china dish, but they know they're loved, and it's okay. You know, I, I, my friend Barry Adams, he, he was visiting um, a family one time, and they'd adopted um, a child, and this, this child had been an orphan, and they'd adopted him, brought him into the family. And one day they were sitting around the table. I think Barry was there with them. And this little lad knocked the plate off the table and it broke on the floor. And the little guy ran out of the dining room in tears and he went and hid in, the, in a place far away in the house where, where it really took them a long time to find him. But he, he went and hid and Eventually, they, they got him and they, they, they got him out and they said, why did you run away and hide? And he said, I broke a plate and I thought you would be angry. Because that was his experience. That was what he, that's what his heart believed. And 
the, the, the people who adopt it, no, 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 if you drop a plate, it doesn't matter, we'll tidy it up, we'll pick the mess off the floor, we'll give you another plate. And this little guy couldn't believe it because his whole background and his whole experience said, if you break something like that, people are going to be angry with you. People are, you know, you've done something wrong, so you have to go and hide, which is, of course, this is exactly what we were seeing this morning, what happened in the garden. And they, they, they tried to say to him, no, 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 it's only a plate. It doesn't matter. It's just a plate. <laughs> and, you know, we'll tidy it up together. And that's, that's what I, you know, when, when children are loved and secured, they can break a plate and it doesn't, you, you don't want them to break too many plates, of course. <laughs> but, you know, they can break a plate and it doesn't matter because they know they're loved. You know, and our father's like that when we, when we mess up, when we get things wrong, which we do. He said, oh, for goodness sake, it's only a plate. <laughs> yeah, we can sort it out together and then we can carry on. But when we're living loved, we know it's okay. But when we're living as orphans, we want to run and hide. And we, 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 we think, oh, no, we've done something wrong. Well, it's only a plate. <laughs> I've got a friend. Um, she's, um, she's a lovely lady. She's from Edinburgh. She... She ran a children's church in, in the city, inner city of Edinburgh for a number of years. Just taking, she started getting these kids coming to church, and they were really disruptive <laughs> in church. You know. And in the end, the, the pastor said to her, he said, we really want to help these children. We really want to do something good for them. You know, but it's not helping them, and it's not helping the other people in the church the way things are at the moment. Why don't you start a separate church for these kids and so she did and she ran it for years and you know in in this in the inner city area of edinburgh and she got all these kids coming and it was just great what she did with them and they loved her and they just she 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 would see the police when they when they got into trouble with the police she would see the police with them she would see the social workers with them um and she told me one day there was a lady on they have a lot of flats and tenements in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh. There was one lady on about the fourth or fifth floor. And every week she would come on her balcony and she would watch when the double-decker bus came around and pick the kids up. And after nine months, this lady came downstairs onto the street and she said to my friend Helene, she said, I've watched you for nine months and I trust you with my children now. You know, will you take my children to your church today? And it took nine months of her watching how Helene was and how she behaved and how she looked after the kids before she would trust, you know, her kids to this, this lady. And she said, I just watched and, it, you know, I see who you are. You know, it's like I, I can see what you're, you've got. But one day, one of the kids in Helene's church, uh, she didn't tell Helene, but she entered Helene um, for the child line um, like charity of, you know, person of the year award. And so Helene was got to be one of the finalists and she went to London and Esther Ransom was there and the Duchess of Kent was there and, and there were all these people and they started calling out the fifth place and it wasn't Helene. And then they called out the fourth place and it wasn't Helene. They called out the third place and it wasn't her. They called out the second place and it wasn't her. They called out the first one and it was her. And she'd won this national award. 
And so she went up and she gives Esther Ransom a big kiss and then she just throws her arm around the Duchess of Kent, <laughs> which is not what you're supposed to do, apparently. Gives her a big kiss and she gets this really beautiful glass bowl, which is engraved, you know, child line, person of the year and whatever. Beautiful, beautiful glass bowl. And she takes it back home and I said, and then she's telling me this story. I said, oh, I said, next time I come to see you, I really want to see your your glass bowl. And she said, oh, it broke. I said, you broke it. She said, no, I didn't break it. She had some of these kids in her home and they just knocked it off the, off the cupboard and it just shattered into you know, thousands and thousands of pieces. And I said, I said, how did you feel about that? And she said, oh, it didn't bother me at all. She said, it's just a glass bowl. <laughs> but you won it. And she said, no. She said, the most significant thing was, um, well, first of all, she said, the child who knocked it off was devastated. And she just put her arm around this child and said, hey, it doesn't matter. It's only a glass bowl. <laughs> and, you know, that really, you know, that really helped that child, of course. But then she said, I said, well, didn't you feel like you've just broken this trophy? This is like, this is like your award, you know. And she said, no, it's just a glass bowl. She said, the most important thing was when I got to that, that award ceremony and they called my name out. She said, the winner, when they said the winner is Helene King, she said, that was the best prize. Because she said, a few months before that, she said to the father, she said, father, I don't really know who I am. And he said to her, one day I am going to call your name out in public. And so she goes to this awards thing and they call her name out in public. And, and she just walked up to the stage and she said, she said she felt like it was like, yes, the father has called my name out. And she said that's what did her so much good. That was better than the, the award. That was better than the glass bowl because she, she said it's like the father spoke those words. Helene, you're my girl. I'm proud of you. You know, and... That was the thing that really did so much good for her heart. And, you know, that's, that's what it's like, I think, when the love of God is poured into our hearts. When the substance of his love is poured into our hearts. It's like, yes, the Father says my name. You know, I, there's, um, I go to Uganda to a retreat center um, on the edge of the River Nile. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I've been going there for for 10 years and I love going there uh, the, the people that we work with there are great but over the years I've got to know all of their staff and you know, when I get there again in a couple of months time I'll, I'll go around all the staff and say hello and, and so on and I'll be introduced to the new staff and I was talking to one of the, the people who runs the, the centre a couple of weeks ago and um, a friend of mine had been there for six months, like he'd lived there for the whole of the six-month period. And I said, oh, how did so-and-so get on when he was with you for six months? And she said, the lady who, who ran the retreat, she said, well, she said, it was really sad. She said, at the end of the six months, he didn't know the staff's names. And it's like, there's only ten of them. <laughs> And she said he didn't know the names of our staff, and we found that really hard. Because it's not 
you know, it's not difficult to learn 10 names over six months. <laughs> um, and I thought, wow, that's so telling, isn't it? You know, it's so important that we, we know someone's name. You know, if I came into Timo and Ruth's house on Tuesday evening and said, oh, hello, um, what, what's your name? Or, you know, if I'd have forgotten the names of their kids or, you know, whatever, it's like, it's not valuing them. And I felt the same as a dad when people have come to our house and they've called our kids by the wrong names. You know, they call Francis Hillary or they call Hillary Hannah or they call John Francis. No, they don't get John, <laughs> they don't get John wrong. <laughs> um, but it's something inside of me as a dad goes, no, you're not, you don't value my kids. And there's, there's something about hearing our name spoken. And I believe the Father wants to, to speak our name to us. He wants to say our name to us. And he, he, you know, just as he spoke over Jesus, this is my son who I love. You know, he wants to, to say in front of us, you're my girl. Yes, I'm proud of you. You know, I love you. Because, and it's not just a one-off thing. I, I, you know, we need, that's, we need to live in the flow of his affirmation for us. And that's what Paul is meaning when he talks about the, the, the love of God being poured into our hearts. It's the substance and the reality of love. It really exists. It's something being poured out of something into something. It's not nothing being poured out of nothing. It's something that the Father takes from himself and he pours into our hearts. And, you know, we read on in Romans chapter 5 how when we, when we have this love in our hearts, it draws us into this reconciliation to the Father. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, there is much more to say of this unfailing love for us. You know, it's like, there's so much more. I can't put it in words. I can't express it all. He's saying there's still much more to say. For through the blood of Jesus, we, we now, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are righteous in my sight. And when the love of the Father comes into our hearts, there's something inside of it that goes, yes, we are righteous in God's sight. You know, it's not like that guy that was preaching in that church that says, well, I don't know. You might use up God's grace. Well, if God's grace was limited, I reckon I would have run out about 10, 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, I am so glad it's not limited. I'm so glad I don't have to live with the expectation of it being limited. Because I don't know what that is. But if it's unlimited, and if his grace and his mercy and his love is unlimited, then we can, we step into a huge reservoir of goodness. And Paul says that that enables us to receive this declaration in our hearts that you are righteous in my sight. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Now that's got to be good news. You know, it's like, oh, we don't have to live under this expectation of the big angry man coming along and telling us off. It's like, because of what Jesus has done, we will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God reckoned, fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. 
something greater than friendship with God. That sounds like a good deal. You know, he's drawn us into his family and he's offering us something greater than friendship. I think, well, what's greater than friendship? You know, it's that intimate connection where the two become one. It's like marriage, you know, two become one. And it's like we become one with Christ because we are in him. We become one with the Father because we are in Christ. And this cascading love of the Father into our hearts draws us into this relationship that is greater than friendship. Now that we are at peace with God, that's got to be good news. And now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? It's like Paul is showing us this big, big, big picture and saying, this is what the life of a son looks like. This is what the life of a daughter looks like. When you live in love, knowing who your father is, knowing who you are, you are drawn into something so much greater, so much bigger than just friendship. I mean, friendship's up at a different level, isn't it? You know, I'm your friend. I met you yesterday. You know, I'm Timo's friend. I met him seven years ago. It's kind of a different friendship. And it's, just, you know, we, we have all these different levels of friendship. And, you know, yet what Paul is writing here is saying, no, 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 I want to draw you beyond that level of friendship in, into some, something greater, which is our oneness and our unity with Christ in the Father. And then it, in, later on in verse 16, it says, this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than was given to, through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we were all facing a death sentence with a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures. Oh, yes, you know, that's so good, isn't it? This gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. You know, the Father looks at each one of us and he says, not guilty. You know, it's like stamped on us, not guilty. And how often do we live our lives feeling guilty? <laughs> you know, how often do we live feeling that sense of guilt and condemnation and shame and, you know, we beat ourselves up and, and yet God looks at us, our Father looks at us and he says, not guilty. Sorted. The price has been paid. Job done. And this, this is the life we live when this amazing love from our Father is being poured into our hearts. You know, we, are, we, we, we can live without condemnation, without guilt, without the burden of this unrighteousness that we've put on ourselves, that we can walk, as the message translation says, we can walk lightly and freely. You know, I, I long for that, you know, to walk lightly and freely. And I know that I'm walking a lot lighter and a lot freer than I did 10, 15 years ago. And I, I you know, I want to see that increase because that's the free life that God has for his sons and daughters. And I want to give us an opportunity this afternoon to receive the substance of his love into our hearts. You know, because the something that is in God's jug 
that he wants to pour into our lives is the substance of his love. And in a, in a little while, we're going to take an opportunity just to allow that substance of his love to be poured into our hearts. And just say, Father, I want the substance of your love. I want the reality of your love. You know, I don't want nothing poured into nothing, because then we'll be left with nothing. <laughs> you know, I want the substance and the reality and the tangible presence of your love to be poured into my heart. And that changes everything for us. Because then we live this sonship Christianity instead of this orphan-hearted Christianity that we talked about this morning. You know, in, in Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. You know, the son coming home. And what does his father do? He sees him a long way off. Smelly, dirty, unclean, been in the pig pen, been on a long journey, you know, just absolutely, you know, don't want to go near him. <laughs> but the father doesn't do that. The father runs out to him, and before anything, he throws his arms around him. And the son starts his pre-prepared speech. You know, I am unworthy. I am useless. I've messed up again. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just call me a slave, you know. But the father won't have any of it. The father throws his arms around him and the son starts a speech and the father says, oh, shut up. You know, because Jesus says in John chapter 8 that a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to the family forever. So when that boy came home stinky and sweaty, he belonged to the family because he was a son. And the father knew that, and the father threw his arms around him and said, Son, I'm so glad you're home. And then he gets the servant to go and bring the best robe out. You know, whose robe would that have been? When, when, the, master, when the father sent the servant into the house to get the best robe, the best robe in the house would have been the father's robe. And, he's, and he says, bring it out. And he wraps his son. And yesterday I talked about being clothed in love. You know, sinking into a garment of love. That's what the father did for the son. He took a garment of love and wrapped him up in it. You know, if it had been me, you know, son, go and have a bath. Go and clean yourself up. And then come and see me in my office and let's have a little chat. <laughs> you know, and then I would have gone through all the things he'd done wrong and da 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 da. But this father in this story, he throws his arms around the son. He covers him with his garment of love. He gives him a ring on his finger. And that ring is a ring of authority. It means the very next day that boy could have gone into town and he could have done business as if he were the father himself. And all the people in the town would have had to listen to that boy and deal with him as if they were dealing with the father. Because he had the father's ring of authority on his finger. You know, they would have known the background. This boy had squandered all the money. This boy had gone off. This boy had dishonored his father. But they wouldn't be able to argue with the fact that he had a ring on his finger. See, I think when the boy left home, he had his ring on. He would have done, wouldn't he? And I think when he was out on his travels, he probably sold his original ring. 
That means the father must have made another one for him. So when he came home, there was a new ring ready. Now, I know it's only a story and we can read too much into it, but you know, I think that's what, what would have happened. And the father had that new ring ready as soon as the son came home. It's like, son, you belong. You can act on my behalf once again. You can go and do business in the marketplace. You know, he put sandals on the guy's feet and then he threw a big party. And he said, you know, he was basically saying, son, you belong. But the first thing he did was he, he ran out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms. He hugged him closely and he kissed him over and over with tender love. See, that, that embrace was, it was a place of welcome and it was a place of acceptance. It was a place of belonging. It was a place of security. It was a place of comfort. And all that had gone wrong was put right in that embrace. And, you know, that, in that embrace, that son received the substance of his father's love. And, you know, I, there is an embrace from the father that we can step into and we can receive. One of the things we, we often pray when we're doing um, our schools with people is we, we just have a very simple prayer that we pray with people. Is we, say, we put our arms around them and we say, Father, let these arms be your arms. And it's, we're, just, we're asking the Father to do a supernatural impartation of his love. You know, it's like when you pray for healing. You lay hands on someone and say, Father, would you heal this person? Now, it's not my hand that heals. It's not me that heals, but it's him through us that heals. And so, so it is we can say, Father, make these arms your arms, that your son or your daughter would receive the substance of your love into their hearts. Jesus often took a little child, didn't he? In Matthew, in, um, in Mark chapter 10, people were bringing little children to Jesus. Uh, for him to place his hands on them. But do you remember the disciples rebuked Jesus and said, Jesus, don't do it. They're only little children. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. See, Jesus says, unless you can come like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says a very similar thing in the end of Matthew 11. He said, you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, but you've revealed them to little children, for such is your good pleasure. You know, it's, it's the Father's pleasure to reveal his secrets to those with a childlike heart. And... You know, I think that's the key for, for how we come to the Father. Can we come as a little child? Or are we going to remain wise and learned and sophisticated and grown up and all that sort of stuff? Can we come as a little child? I remember I, I, being in Uganda um, about three years ago, two and a half years ago. I, I was doing a school and I, I got to the retreat center a few days before the school started. Um, just to see the team there and just have a bit of time. And 
I, I was wandering around the, the, the center and I saw this, it was an English lady, she was um, a nurse. She'd gone out to Uganda to do some nursing um, maybe nine, ten months beforehand. And she just looked an absolute mess. You know, she just looked exhausted. She looked stressed. She looked in great, you know, great emotional agony. And I thought, oh, you know, my, my first reaction was, oh, there's another burnt out missionary. <laughs> you know, I'm not going near her, you know. I'm leading a school next week. I don't want to be drained by someone else's, you know, burdens and emotions and stuff. But one night there was this beautiful, there was, this, there was an incredible storm. And then the sun came out again in the evening. And there was this beautiful, beautiful rainbow. So I, I was out there taking photographs of this rainbow. And she was out there taking photographs of this rainbow as well. So we, we talked to each other. And she said she was going to be on the school the following week. And so we went into the school, and she sat at the back. And there's nothing wrong with sitting at the back. But she sat in the back all week looking absolutely miserable. And I could just see she was in such emotional turmoil and pain. And, you know, so on the Wednesday night, I went to her and I said, um, Sarah, and, and she's given me permission to, to share her story. I said, Sarah, can you come as a little girl who needs to be loved? Can you come to a big dad as a little girl who needs to be loved? And she said, no, can't do it. I said, okay, that's fine. On Friday, at the very end of the last session of the school, she was sitting at the back. And my heart was just going out to her. I could see she was just desperate for a breakthrough, but feeling so much pain. And so I went to her again and said, Sarah, can you come as a little girl who needs to be loved by a big dad? She said, no. I said, okay. And then about 20 minutes later, I was just wrapping up the meeting. And I went to her again and I said, Sarah, can you come as a little girl who needs to be loved? Now, she'd done one of 